Welcome to Living Holistically with Dane and Indy. Where we empower you with the tools and knowledge of some of our favorite experts to help create your optimal health and lifestyle. We're your hosts, parents to three chickens and a dog in the hills of Melbourne, novice gardeners and health coaches serving other couples. Thank you for being here today. We hope you enjoy this episode. On today's episode, we have longevity and optimal health practitioner, Jason Prowl. He is the director, writer, and producer of the nine-part documentary series, The Human Longevity Project, where Jason interviews experts as well as centenarians from five different Blue Zone cultures when it comes to physical, emotional intelligence, happiness, and wellness. He's been able to share his unique approach with a global audience, which has facilitated the transformation of thousands of lives with simple, practical, and powerful solutions to combat chronic health conditions and drastically improve quality of life. As always, make sure to check out the show notes for everything we talk about today, including the amazing nine-part docuseries. So, Jason, welcome and thank you so much for joining us on our show today. Really appreciate you taking the time out to chat with us. And for people that may not be, I guess, familiar with yourself and even the work you've done, would like to share a bit of your backstory that got you into this health space and your journey? Yeah, I mean, I think my, my journey is much like um, most people, to be honest. Um, it's, it's not the doctor route. It's not the clinical route, but rather uh, through my own experience. And so um, this is uh, not in my plan to be in this sort of health practitioner, health educator space at all. Um, I was an engineer. I, I enjoyed sort of systems thinking and uh, loved the sciences. But um, I really fell into this because of my my health issues that I was dealing with, chronic issues, uh, joint pains, and, and various skin conditions. And um, these are things that the medical system had no answer for me, you know. And, and this was back, you know, in um, in the 2000s. In fact, my, my knee issue started in 1993 when I was 13 years old. So the internet was not as robust of a resource as it is today. And so um, it was difficult to find these answers. And so that, that really propelled me into researching for myself. And again, I was using web, quali- web crawler and, you know, uh, some of the early internet uh, searches. And, and it got me to a point where I could start to figure out that there was a lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation, a lot of fraud, um, and just a lot of wrong thinking. And so um, by no means did I have the answers at that point, but I was able to detect the BS, um, at least on a, on some level, right? And so that really propelled me forward. And, and as I began experimenting and trying things, and, and I, I began to fine tune really what I felt was creating some of the imbalances and some of the dysfunctions, some of the pains and, and suffering in my life. And so um, that has been a you know, 20 something year journey, um, consciously. So, um, and it's ever evolving, right? So this is the thing too, that it's not a destination. People want to get to the bottom of their health issues. They want to get to optimum. They want to, uh, whatever it is. And and it's like, that's not, I get it. And I've been there. Um, but in the process, you realize it's just, it's a process of finding alignment. It's a process of finding balance within your own system. And it's going to be unique to you, unique, unique to your environment, unique to your lifestyle. And it's probably going to change as you get older, um, not only because your thinking and your understanding changes, but because your environment changes, because your body changes, because your situations change. So um, it's really taught me to keep an open mind and to continually learn, to continue to listen, continue to ask questions, continue to feel into what what's really right for me. And, and of course, when I help others as sort of the practitioner and educator, um, it's in that same same light. With nodding the whole time, which <laughs> is so much in agreement with everything you said. Yeah. That's exactly what we believe in philosophy-wise so as well. That. And I think we were actually talking about this the other day of like coming to terms and accepting that it isn't, you know, it isn't mm. something that you are completion. right at. And, Just yeah, looking completion. for completion and the mind and the ego wants to just like, that's it. I've done this. I've yeah. fixed it. Almost that satisfaction of having, you know, met that goal. But yeah, you come to terms that no, it's actually enjoying the growth. and yeah. You said something so important, which is acceptance. Um, and this is the case, I think, a lot of times, even with the conditions or the imbalances of the pains that you're dealing with, there's a certain level of acceptance sometimes that I think one must come to. And, and ironically, it is in that acceptance that, you can, that can release you of the burden of suffering. Um, the pains in life are always going to be there, especially as we get older. We will have more pain. That is just the reality of life. Now, but the pain doesn't necessarily mean suffering. So um, it's it's... You know, in a lot of the athlete circles, they would say embrace the suck, right? And there's a certain level of that. It doesn't mean endure and suffer and like, you know, really just dig into the pain, but there's a certain level of acceptance, right? As we get to a certain age, as, as certain things go wrong um, over our lives, 
we may not be able to fix it at, at this point with our understanding of both personally of what, what's going on and through sort of, sort of science and, and the medical system um, on whatever level. And so coming to some level of acceptance of your situation, of your reality. I mean, I, I just have a, a, a one-year-old son. And for this last year, we haven't gotten very good sleep, right? And so there's a certain level of acceptance that I must come to when it comes to my son's going to wake me up, I'm going to get suboptimal sleep, and it's going to affect my health in a negative way. So what can I do to mitigate that, to balance that, and also accept the reality that I'm in? Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. And taking responsibility, as you said just then, that you accepted that and you took responsibility for that part that you realized that- To do what you could control. Yeah, within your control. And also sort of deciding, can I be happy now as well? And not, you know, wait to always do things or be happy or feel a certain way when I've fixed it. Exactly. And, and, and the answer is you can always be happy no matter what circumstance you're in, right? And, and there's plenty of videos on YouTube. You can go people with disfigured faces, with uh, you know, quadriplegics, with you name it, that, that seem to be or have a certain level of happiness that, um, and well-being. I think even more important than happiness. Happiness is fleeting, right? But from what well-being, actually, you can be angry from well-being. You can be upset and, and hurt from well-being, happy from well-being. All these emotions from well-being sort of the center core of your being. And that's a decision um, that one can come to often as you go through a lot of various stages and healings and realizations and, and these type of things. So, uh, but it's not a destination. So I'm, I'm glad you, you made that point. Yeah, yeah. And even emotions themselves aren't really, you know, we're not happy all the time. Like it's a, it's a flowing in and out of things and it's a, a constant reminder to ourselves. It's not linear. Absolutely. And, and in a lot of the work that I do, both receiving, um, um, healing work from others, you know, and also giving it from a practitioner standpoint, it is a lot about um, trauma work and missed experiences and these things that happen from early childhood. And a lot of this, we develop these, these structures that prevent us from this feeling, as you mentioned. And so a lot of the work that we do is actually getting back in touch with those feelings. And you'll feel the sadness, you'll feel the the loss, you'll feel the pain, the anger, the frustration, the the grief, um, the rage. I mean, that's all trapped in our systems, um, literally trapped in the body and also trapped in our sort of energy field, if you will. It, it, we do hold on to these things in our psyche um, and, and they do manifest in, in, in misalignments, in dysfunctions, um, both mentally, physically, and emotionally. And so, so a lot of it is getting back in touch with those feelings and learning that it's not only okay, but it's important to feel the sadness important to feel the anger because that allows us to finally metabolize and process these things that we've been holding on to and afraid for good reason um, to feel because they happened at, at a point in our development where we couldn't handle it. We didn't have the resource both in our in our system because we were maturing and, and, and as infants, we don't have a lot of resource. And also it wasn't uh, around us. So a lot of times as infants, we, re- we, we rely on our parents um, and those around us as a resource to calm us down, right? To, to, uh, comfort us. And so if that's not there, not only physically, but energetically, um, then, then we're going to have a certain level of, um, coping that we develop. And this is where these ego structures come from. And this produces the, the, the type A personality, right? The person who is highly organized, the person who waits to the last minute and slacks off the person who is shy and, and won't approach a girl or, or new people at a party. It, it produces all of these various characteristics, even the achiever, right? These are, these are ego constructs that were created and they're not bad, but they, but the, the patterns were created due to these, these very things. Um, and so there's a lot that goes on. And, and, and so uh, again, you sort of opened a can of worms. I, I yeah, we did. This, this whole <laughs> topic, so do we. But I'll just leave it yeah. there. And it's really important to, um, actually feel these feelings and these emotions that, that we are, we're ill-equipped to deal with till now. Exactly. I think like a lot of people grew up in a family where it wasn't shown how to properly and healthily um, feel your emotions or deal with them. It was that, you know, expressed in a lot of... Even something that we've, even though I just want to go too far deep into mm-hmm. this, but just briefly t- uh, finishing up that area is that even just ourselves understanding that not blaming our parents or, or anyone that, fa- um, that in that case, because they did the best they could with what the tools they may or may not have had, but then it's like taking responsibility right now. So like, like, mm-hmm. like accepting that and still loving them, but then also take responsibility for what you have right now with the knowledge and tools that we have. And so we've, we've put a lot of work in towards in that emotional side of things and incredible. And that's where it's probably probably deeper for most of us. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's bigger than you think. <laughs> yeah. Most people don't want to face that. 
Yeah. It's never ending, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and to your point, you know, as, as a new parent, um, even somebody that has awareness around these topics, I understand that I'm going to sort of screw up my kid. I'm going to give him complexes. And, and this is just part of life. This is, this is the, and, and again, those things that are developed as a response to the missed experiences, the misattunements or, or these type of things, and these traumas, so to speak, they are gifts. They are gifts that we, that are being develops. And we, and when we resolve these, these things, we get to keep these gifts, right? The one that can multitask, the one that can that can, uh, me, I'm a systems thinker, so I analyze my environment and figure, that provides a certain level of safety, and it did when I was growing up, and 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 gave me what I needed, right? So now I get to keep that gift if I can just resolve the underlying sort of mechanism, now now we're good. Yeah. And that's potentially what you'll be actually able to pass on to him um, as something maybe, and, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I know, even Dane's always like, what there's more you know yeah i always is <laughs> like a part of acceptance myself that ourselves. i wanted completion in yeah. some areas and be like can this just stop but it's like that is not gonna ever gonna happen and i have to accept that it's going to yeah. be this continual growth and challenge and ups and downs and that's just how it is and, and accepting that is hard because you know what would we do without that you mm. know that growth uh, we're obviously called for that yeah it becomes it, it, it on a some level it becomes enjoyable to metabolize these things right and and i'm with you i've had certain aspects that i thought okay well that's that feels resolved and then it comes up again and there's more and i'm like oh my gosh so to your to your point there's this really fine balance of acceptance for whatever might come and with the possibility it could be complete and so you know and so so it's it's holding both and and when you can do that then then you have really ultimate flexibility with whatever comes and that's to me the goal in in, in my progression is Okay, like whatever you got, I'm I'm ready, and uh, you know, let's let's just keep keep moving forward. Mm. Yeah, exactly, because it's a very different story um, breaking through it than when it's suppressed again, and it just the same mm. thing keeps coming up. So at least if you're, you know, you know that you've understood it more, and you've in a sense broken through something. It integrated as well, I guess yeah. is key. Is well. yeah, integrated. Yeah. yeah, that that is key, and and um, it reminds me of a. Uh, a really good quote that I will forever steal from uh, a shaman friend of mine from Peru. And he said, you know, there was something that I was working with. And I said, Oh, that's just, that's just maybe my stuff that's coming up. Right. And he said, no, 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 that's, it's not yours. It's for you. Meaning that the things that we're holding onto, the things that we're dealing with, things that we're processing and integrating and working through, they're gifts and they are there for you to raise your level of awareness to create understanding from. And so, um, it can feel like a burden. It can feel like a painful thing to deal with and something that, that you're hold, that, that is yours, but none of this stuff is actually ours unless we want to claim it. If we want to claim it and hold on to it, then it will be yours. Right. But if you can learn to, to recognize that none of it is actually yours if you don't want it, but it is a gift for you. Mm, it's a perfect little, uh, reframing of the mind to, even since I can approach that way, it's like, I, I'm going to steal that as well. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Mm. We think um, we'll switch gears now. Into- <laughs> yeah, I know. That was such a interesting intro to what you do. Yeah. No, I mean, we love that stuff as well. I mean, yeah, you could definitely speak to that with um, some of the projects that you've worked on because you were probably exposed to a lot of different perspectives. Um, so I guess before we go into those, do you want to just explain um, one of your really big projects, the Human Longevity project said project a million times um because that was yeah that was an amazing um as a viewer to look at and i think like anyone who watches that will really take a lot from it because of the way it was positioned with not only interviewing um you know experts in these fields of health but also the people that are centennials in the blue zones and stuff so sorry i'll let you explain <laughs> No, it was a great idea. intro, and, I, and yeah. I appreciate the, the the compliments and thank you. Um, it was a, a great project to work on. It was really um, so. What we did was we we went around the world and um, interviewed people that were in their 80s, 90s, 100s from all around the world. And we went to the, the blue zones. If you're familiar with those, these are regions that have been sort of identified as containing uh, a very high number of centenarians, people that are over 100 years old, sort of uh, an anomaly. And um, we went there because that's the highest likelihood we were going to find these people, right? So it actually had nothing to do with those regions. We were not studying those regions per se. I don't think there's anything particularly 
amazing about those parts of the world. It's really just the cultures and the lifestyles that were to, that were uh, basically held onto in those regions that I think um, really produce such amazing results. But but the idea of this nine part film series was to explore the real truth behind what these people's lives were like and what they did to to make it to 100 years. And, you know, this work has been done to some degree before, right, um, through the Blue Zones. And um, and it was groundbreaking work, and I'm really glad they did it. And yet they missed out on a lot of key information. Um, and, and there's, it, in, from my perspective, there's a lot of things missing um, from the work that's being done around longevity. And we have sort of this tech perspective, right, from Silicon Valley that thinks they're going to create tech and, and that's going to solve all our problems uh, of aging and, and aging is a disease. And so there's all these little misnomers and really funny ways to think about aging mm. we can and, biohack our way out of it as a common one <laughs> and it's a problem yeah. right mm. yeah first and foremost like, why is it a problem right so there's a there's a lot of distortion in the thinking and the mentality when it comes to aging and so um i wanted to explore that and then and then also look at a lot of the things that were missed from the a lot of the work that's being done around the world which is what what was life actually like in 1940 ikaria greece Right. People are always looking at, okay, what are they doing in Ikaria? What are they doing in Costa Rica? What are they doing in Sardinia? What are they doing in Okinawa? Well, yeah, you can look at what they're doing now, what they're eating, how they move as a 92 year old. That's wonderful. And that's one part of the puzzle. But what about what were they doing at 42? What were they doing at seven? What were their parents doing pre-birth? Right? What was birth like? What was just after birth like? How long did they breastfeed? What did they eat as a child? All of these questions, right? And what you find when you really dig into that stuff is that there's a very strong historical difference that we will never see again. In in the 40s and 50s and 60s, now keep in mind, in 1940, from somebody that's 100 years old today, uh, they'd be 20 years old, right? So they were, oh, they were an adult in 1940. In 1940 or 1950 and even 1960 in some of these places like the villages of Costa Rica and Icaria, Sardinia, they didn't have electricity, we can think about that, but it's very hard to really, truly imagine what that's like. No refrigeration, no freezers. Transportation is a lot of times by horse or by walking. Um, there's no lighting at night, right? There's no Bluetooth. There's no Wi-Fi. Of course, none of that, but it's it's the none. I mean, they had they had lanterns, you know, they carbide lanterns, but, but that's a very different animal. And and if you ask these people, what'd you do when the, after the sun went down? They said, we went to sleep. We tell stories, we go to sleep, right? And so that's a different reality that they grew up in, right? They got up at the sun because that's when it was time to deal with the animals and the, the farming and whatever project needed to go around the house. So they lived in a very, very different world. They didn't have um, running water like we have today. They had very, very different running water, if they had running water. So Everything that you can point to in our modern world was different than how they grew up for most of their life, up until 40 or 50. Now, we do all of our developing, all of our adaptations occur when we're in the womb, just after birth, right? So there's such, it all gets laid down, right, at that point. Once you hit 30, your brain's fully developed, your your system's essentially um, calibrated, to your environment right at that point. And there's, of course, a little bit of adaptation that happens after that, but that's primarily set. And so one really needs to recognize that. That's a very, very important factor to how is this 94-year-old living today? And, oh, he eats um, eggs and he drinks wine. And we're looking at that going, okay, well, there's something there. And they're trying to solve the riddle uh, by, by looking at a, a slice of this guy's life and saying, this is what you should do. And I think it's just quite ridiculous. Um, so so that's one part, studying their entire life history and, and looking at the various aspects around the world. And then the other side of that coin is, okay, great. Can I even model that? No, right? I can't model that in my, in my I mean, it's possible, I guess. I'd go real remote, and, but even then I'm not going to have the community, which is a huge part of it. So, so you have to have some kind of community in this very rural setting that doesn't have any of that stuff. Kind of Amish is about the closest you can get. But even then, we live in a completely different world that is toxic with glyphosate everywhere on the planet, right? Metals and PCBs and Wi-Fis and cell, cell signals. And, and I mean, even the, 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 the solar radiation is different today. So, I mean, honestly, we live in a completely different world, and there's no way that we can go back to that time. So that's the one aspect of today's environment. The other aspect is what are the things that we're doing intentionally like on this little call here, which adds value to my life in a lot of ways, and hopefully a lot of your viewers as well. 
And also, it's probably harming us in, in micro in little microwaves, right? Not microwaves, but microwaves, um, little bits constantly, right? And so this light that I have in my eyes, we're indoors most of the time. There's all these different things, right? So so now we have to look at what are we doing today that is affecting our health and, and how can we mitigate? And then also we have technology and supplements and amazing nutraceuticals and access to information in ways that are they didn't have so there's a lot of variation so so this is what we want to look at the whole picture and really demonstrate that if we want to look at longevity it's great we, we can look to the past and pull some of those nuggets forward the wisdom the the understanding and also and hopefully adopt some of that if we're not now and also recognize and give ourselves some grace that our environment is very very different and and way that we're going to get to 100 is going to look very, very different than these people did uh, that were born in 1920, right? So so we can use them as a, as a guide, but they cannot be our model. We have to adjust and adapt a new strategy, and that involves an, an entirely different uh, discussion that may or may not include sort of the Silicon Valley perspective of, of health and longevity. Definitely. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that as well about this, you know, what we're doing right now, because mm. even though we know these things it's like we're just doing our best to mitigate it we don't see that it would be equal to you know not do this we feel like it is more of a value as you said like to do this um podcast but at the same time taking into consideration the artificial light <laughs> which is why we have um yeah. blue blocker or artificial well, light we've got our hardwired uh, ethernet cable to yeah. our, our computer <laughs> so as well so there's, like, there's things that you can do in the control right as you said like there's yeah. a level of degree that we can actually because um, i actually will notice it if we're um in here mm. long enough doing podcasts that we didn't you know get a bit headachey our eyes are a bit sore and um, you really can notice it once you're a bit attuned to it and be like, okay, well, what does that mean? Do I maybe have to set more boundaries about how many podcasts or, you know, calls I do a day? Um, because yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like the themes that are going to arise out of this, out of the discussion are, are responsibility, right? Taking responsibility for your actions and acceptance, the certain level of acceptance that you, that you have with, with these things. And, you know, there's, there's things like, when we interviewed and, and discussed and, and investigated these people's lives, none of them did yoga. None of them did breath work. None of them meditated. So are, are we to conclude that, none, that, that those things aren't beneficial or needed to get to 100, especially in our, in our day? They didn't, they didn't exercise like we do. They don't do high-intensity interval training. They, they walked 30 kilometers, right? So so, so we have to think, well, we don't have to. If you want to think about these things differently, you can. Um, and I, I would encourage people to open their minds and their perspective to, again, the solutions may look different. It, it may be more critical for us to include things like meditation to finally get that disassociation from all the stimulus, right? Um, whereas they didn't need that. They were out in nature. The only the stimulus they had was natural or, or you know, party induced with lots of wine and, and other things, right? So um, again, it's a very, very different. So we wanted to show some of that too. That We thought that was really important to show some of their um, environments and their, their lifestyles. And of course, their sense of humor and, and their stories, because um, you, you can just learn a lot from somebody that's that old that has these amazing stories and wisdom and, and a sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. And it's really, um, it's really, you know, beautiful to see and listen to as well. Cause I don't think a lot of us really get to have that experience, you know, or exposure as well yeah. to that, that sort of, to be able to sort of shift a perspective that you might have about even so our elders losing that generation coming a lot closer now to that generation being sort of, um, growing and evolving, but um, learning from that. And as you said too, like you take, it doesn't mean we're going to become and live like them because that's not possible in this world anymore. We can't live that kind of life and not have this like extra support that we're doing so with that being said is like what would be i guess some of the biggest takeaways that you got personally from doing this project or even just from your work over the years um in in relative to sort of like nutrition and food and, and lifestyle yeah, i think um i think uh, connection and well, that was probably one of the big ones um but yeah just for the purpose of um what our focus is in today because we don't want to, like, obviously, it's never just one thing. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, just focused, I guess, mm. more on that um, food. And food has such a connection to culture and family anyway and connection. Yeah. So um, I, I think this is a, a universal theme, and it applies to food too, which is simplify. So 
everything about their life was simplified. And I think today we've overcomplexified everything. If I look at my desk, it's like, it's ridiculously complex. I could actually simplify my desk alone, right? So this is, a, I think, a principle that leads to greater health, which is simplify. Simplify your calendar. Simplify your life. Simplify your your smoothies. Simplify your food choices. Um, we over, we, we, again, even with food, it's like, I'm going to make a smoothie with 148 superfoods in it, right? Thinking that more is better and diversity and all these things. And yet, um, some of the most beneficial diets that people can actually go through from a therapeutic perspective is a mono diet, something like kitchery, like they do in Ayurveda, which is essentially mung beans and rice with some spices, right? Like doing that for two, three weeks, you'll see amazing benefits. So simplifying, so simplifying your diet, go towards, instead of getting the organic apple chips, right, in a little bag, great, they're organic and they're, it's, it's an apple, wonderful. But why don't you just get an organic apple? And better yet, can you find an organic apple local to to you off of a tree, which is a lot more challenging for most of us, right? So um, simplifying from that perspective and wherever you can, I think is really, really critical. From uh, the nutrition one's tough, right? Because the, again, if we look at what they ate in Italy, they ate bread, cheese, tomatoes, um, lots of different meats, um, they had uh, lots of different dairies, sheep. Um, they ate a little bit of fish if it got brought up from the sea because we talked to the people in the mountains. Um, so they ate a ton of different foods, potatoes, um, uh, beans, a lot of beans. Um, so now can I look at their diet and say that's the recipe for you and I to, to live to 100, especially in our modern world version of those? Probably not. In, in Costa Rica, beans, rice, lots of different meats, um, various vegetables, tons of vegetables, a lot of fruit. Um, so again, no matter where you go, you're going to find foods that we consider bad, right? And so the big takeaway around nutrition is that there is no bad food, like inherently. They're all beneficial. The question is, is it beneficial for you? Is it beneficial in the context of your environment? If, you, if, if the foods that you're eating are, aren't grown very well, it, it, meaning they're not organic, or even if they're organic, a lot of times they contain pesticides and other things still, right, desiccants and, and various things, to some level that they're allowed to, they also are grown in crappy soil, right? So dead soil. So the, the health of the microbiome of the soil leads to the robustness, essentially the immune system of the plant. Well, what's the immune system of the plant? It's in all the terpenoids and, and the uh, polyphenols and the phytochemicals, right? The richness of those, the polyphenol sort of uh, power that a plant holds, right? Think ginger, think garlic, think onion, right? They're beets, like all these colors and scents. And these are, that's the plant's defense immune system. And so that is generated from the environment that's in, the soil uh, and, and the diversity within the soil, the sunlight, et cetera. And so, so all of this comes into play and, so there's no good or bad food. They all just have a place, right? And I, I know we can blame lectins for things. We can blame uh, phytates. We can blame, of course, all the difficult proteins from egg and wheat and dairy. And we can blame all this stuff. We can blame carbs. We can blame fruits. We can blame fats. We can blame everything's getting blamed right now. And the reason is because we have dysfunction going on in the body. So when we have dysfunction, whether it's gastrointestinal, whether it's the fact that we don't chew our food, we're not using enough hydrochloric acid in our stomach, we're not producing the enzymes, our spleens aren't functioning. You know, in Chinese medicine, there's, lot, yeah, there's lots of things going on. In Chinese medicine, the spleen, um, what they suggest for good splenic function is to focus on your food. Focus on the one thing. The pro weakened splenic function comes from multitasking, from not concentrating your awareness, your focus on the thing that you're doing. Well, in those blue zones, um, this is what they do. They sit down, they eat with friends, and they're focused on on the food and, and the people and the environment. They're eating slower because there's so much social activity. So chewing their food, they're taking time between bites, which allows for better digestion, right? We shovel things in our mouth while we're driving down the road or watching TV or in front of our computers. This is causing a problem in digestion. So you can improve the digestive quality and capacity of your system just by slowing down, focusing on your food. Now, I'm just as guilty as anybody else at this type of thing. We live in a modern world, so this takes mindfulness. This takes awareness. And so can you cook your food properly? Can you chew your food properly? Can you taste it? Like really focusing on the taste. You'd be surprised how tuned in you can get to various things, right? Uh, my, my wife is a chef and she can, when she tastes something, she can taste like the various aspects of, of the food. She can pinpoint various ingredients and because she, she, her, she's got a palate that's attuned to that and that just takes awareness. So 
there's a lot there when it comes to food. The diet that you choose is ultimately going to be um, your diet. And this is going to change over time. So uh, this is why so many people are experimenting. We're always experimenting. Again, I'm sure you guys have done this uh, throughout your health journey. What foods do I actually eat? How much do I eat? That's another big part of this. We, we tend to overeat um, our foods, and, and we don't have the digestive fire, the digestive capacity to metabolize all that food. So we want to eat the bulk of our food in the midday, right? Not at night, not super early in the morning, but midday. It's the strongest, kind of late morning, midday. Um, and, and even then you don't want to overeat these massive meals. I know people stress these big meals once or twice a day to some degree. Yes. You know, but I think three meals a day with a very light meal at dinner, um, and a bigger meal in the, in the middle part of the day and, you know, none or a little bit in, in the morning. And that will allow your, your system to, um, digest and process and metabolize these foods. So you don't end up with a ton of metabolic waste in Ayurveda, the ama. Right? And this is the metabolic waste that builds up in the system that you have to clear out. So, um, and there's a lot to food from where it's grown, how it's cooked, right? Um, what it's combined with, that whole other thing that I don't think we really need to get into. Um, but it's really how are you eating it? How are you digesting it? When are you eating? This is something that people don't focus on. When are you eating? And how much? We've gotten away from this idea because of this whole calorie thing that people said, oh, calories don't matter. And it's like, no, 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 they do. You know, maybe not in the exact mathematical formula that we, we used to think of, but energy in, energy out is a, it's a, an equation. It's a thing. And so um, we need to be focusing on that. You're eating less overall and eating less per meal. You, you will digest your food in a much better way. This episode is brought to you by Barclay Eyewear, the only blue blockers created by a health professional, and that will protect you from day to night from the harmful spectrums of artificial light. If you haven't heard what all the fuss is about, make sure you check out Season 1, Episode 6, where Dane and I delve into all things light and circadian rhythms to understand why these are a game changer for your health. And to say thank you for your support, we've got an exclusive discount of 15% off if you use the code HOLISTIC15. That's H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C-1-5. Just head to BarkleyEyewear.com. That's B A R. K-L-E-Y-E-Y-E-W-E-A-R.com. Couldn't agree more with literally everything you just said then. Yeah. And we personally practice that as well. That Ayurvedic approach is very big in my space for the last few years now. I've really been focusing on that. And even just that simple act alone of how and when you eat of mm-hmm. eating like a, a large meal during a day, but not too large. But then even just shifting out. Think about being like 80% full is the best yeah. way. Like and then, just but, got enough room. And-, and even just thinking about the dinner, having a light, we, we have switched over the past maybe a year or so or two mm-hmm. uh, to like a vegetarian-based light dinner. And that has had a profound impact on our sleep um, objectively mm-hmm. through our aura. We can see that, but then also subjectively, we can feel that with digestive and yeah, not going to bed bloated yeah, <laughs> makes just such having, a difference. Even just the act of that alone, which most people really take for granted and just don't understand, and that sort of mindful eating aspect where it's very easy to be in front of a screen or anything and just not being focusing on your food. And that could also translate into exercise as well. People being on a treadmill watching the TV, so they have no idea how their body is actually functioning or feeling. And so it's just really odd space that we're sort of evolving into that mm-hmm. some or in that space for them. Yeah. It's a very tasking era. Multi- yeah. <laughs> and you find it like sneaks in, you know, even for us, like mm. some time ago, like TV was sneaking into dinner. I'm like, what's going on? Like yeah. we've just got to be more intentional again because it can happen so quickly. Even when you, yeah, you know, all this stuff, you know, that it's good to be mindful and to sit down, you know, with your loved ones and eat, but it really in this day and age where it is so easy to access all of those things, mm. like it really takes some hard, intention and awareness of it yeah yeah and and you know when it comes to food everybody wants to know what to eat right and again that's going to be different for every single person there is no right way to eat um that your in fact your diet will likely and probably should change as you as you get older um the thing that stays the same is your 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 circadian rhythm when your digestive capacity is the strongest it's always going to be midday so so really focusing on when you eat and and adjusting how much you eat these are universal factors and of course how you're how, how much you're chewing your food how slow you're eating are you taking bites these are all things that forgetting what to eat focus on those mm. first once you've mastered how much yeah. and yeah. when 
and and, and how, how you're feeling. Yeah. yeah. Then you yeah. can start tooling with what mm. is it that I can adjust um, in mm. terms of the types of foods. And, and, and the best way I've found to monitor that in terms of if it's right for you, one, what, what do you feel like, right? Just, just generally speaking, but monitor your stool. Um, are you seeing uh, floating, runny stool? You're not metabolizing your fats, whether you're having too much fats or you're not able to metabolize them for whatever reason. There's something going on there, right? Or do you have constipation? Do you have gas? Do you have bloating? Do you have distension? Monitor those things from a stool perspective, and, and, and it's important. And, and, and the other way is to look at your tongue. Look and see if you've got coatings on your tongue. Um, Ayurveda has a whole map when it comes to the tongue, if it's green, if it's yellow, if it's fuzzy, if you've got ridges on the side. There's all kinds of things you can learn to play with. So there's a lot of wisdom out there on sort of self-diagnosing what's going on with the GI system, the foods you're eating. Um, so, so you can really monitor that and fine-tune it instead of listening to all the experts because all the experts are going to give you a million different diets. And, and they're all correct from a certain perspective. But where are you? If somebody's speaking from this perspective, but you're over here, then it's not going to be compatible. If you happen to be in that same perspective, then yes, the red meat diet for you may be optimal at this point in time until things shift, right? So um, there's just a million things to look at when it comes to food. Don't listen to the experts. Listen to your body. Learn how to figure this out. That's, yeah. uh, <laughs> and again. I think it's important to note that all the blood work and stuff is only going to show a snapshot in time and your body could mm. be in a different state the next day and it won't necessarily, I guess, show you what you should be doing, even though that's what you're looking for. Generally, how you feel, as you said, is the biggest key mm. and, you know, what's coming out of you on the other end. Um, so... Yeah, just moving through those different phases of what's right for you because, you know, at any one given time, you could have parasites, you could have infections and all these diets, those people that are, um, I guess, proponents of them Mm. aren't necessarily taking and can't possibly take all of those things into account for you. Only you really know what's going on in your Mm. body or uh, can guess at any one given time. Yeah, what... and to throw some huge wrinkles into that equation, how are you sleeping? If your sleeping's crap and your function's off, then yeah, like there's certain foods that are going to cause you problems. Doesn't mean the food's a problem. That means the food is the gasoline on fire, right? And then you can have uh, sort of emotional trauma, so to speak, these conflicts that, that have been unresolved that can absolutely um, distort the way your your sort of nervous system functions, right? Your vagus nerve. And and so there's so much going on in someone's history, in someone's personal life, in someone's habits. Um, that diet, again, we focus on it in a huge, huge way. And it is important. But it's important to think about it in the context of everything else. We cannot lose sight of everything else because then we're going to get lost. We'll never figure out what diet is right because I'm sleeping. My sleep is off you're going to spin and you spin your wheels. So once you get the sleep correct, now your diet can start talking to you in a different way, right? And then you might make some adjustments. And again, if you're if you're a shift worker, perhaps your sleep has to be, or if you have a kid, right? Your sleep is just the way it is. Now you make some adjustments. So because I get crappy sleep, I eat a little bit differently than I would before because I'm exercising a little bit differently than I would before. If I exercise too strenuously, my nervous system is going to push my nervous system too hard. It's going to cause inflammation and damage. So because I don't exercise as much, now I'm eating differently, right? So there's this chain reaction because I'm not sleeping particularly well and I'm adjusting to my life circumstances, right? So this is super important to recognize how all this fits. We even see this seasonally, you know, mm. um, in winter. Yeah. You notice if you're really in tune with it, your body will gravitate towards those heavier, more fats and everything. And as you come out of it and go into warmer weather, mm. like you're just most likely going to eat lighter meals and less of those heavy fats and everything. And and your weight will shift, like, and your exercise <laughs> will shift. You'll probably exercise more. You know, it's, again, a season yeah, and the hard part for that, for, for some people, for many people, is that we're, we're so out of whack that that we're unable to detect those seasonal shifts, and that's understandable, and I'm not blaming anybody. I, I mean, this is very common, and so um, it can be challenging to recognize it. You know, um, it sounds right what you're saying, but I, I just, I can't feel it, right? Um, follow the maps that some of these ancient um, 
wise teachings provide from Chinese medicine, from Ayurveda, they talk about these these cycles and eat, how to eat in these cycles, what to eat when it's winter and when it's summer and it's fall. And, and they have different maps, but but they're mostly the same when it comes to um, going through these transition. I think it's super important. So even if you can't tell what your body wants, just following those maps and trusting the way that, that, that life works, which is in cycles and seasons, um, then it, you can start to really unwind this for yourself. Yeah, yeah, and finding what is um, in season locally in your area mm. is a really good key to that as well. Which can which, which can help sort of transition your body into the state where you intuitively mm. can actually see what's right for you rather than actually, as you mentioned before, this is what a message that we want to uh, share throughout this entire season is that having going to shift from having like rather a personal philosophy towards diet nutrition but rather than actually more towards internal guidance of actually what do you need rather than listen to so many experts mm. they all have some truth in it yeah, which we agree as well the merit in it but the same more importantly is like how internal like because we are so individual and unique it's incredible and in that as you said too it's just a comprehensive holistic approach to it you can't just focus on one thing and think that will be it for you for life as well and so knowing that transitionally in winter we're going to crave more fats and and uh, maybe more protein animal or proteins. another transition is for a woman you know um becoming pregnant and becoming like starting breastfeeding mm. and stuff that has a very different requirements yeah or just your simple moon cycle right you're, yeah. you're so so there's there's a lot of cycles to pay attention to and mm. and it's important mm. to recognize that when we think of seasons, most of us, because we live in the northern hemisphere or, or southern hemisphere in these sort of uh, various regions of the world, we tend to think of seasons in a certain way. Well, if you live in Costa Rica, your season is wet season and dry season. But that is still a season, right? So mangoes grow in certain seasons and papayas grow in a different season, right? So even if it's still fruit and fruit, you're eating different kinds of fruit. So there's a there's a big piece to the seasonality component. And you're accurate when you say more fats and heavier and sort of grounding foods in the, in the winter. Um, and and that's for most of parts of the world. But for other parts of the world, it's going to be very different, right? And so very, very interesting to look at. And, and the value of seasonal eating, in my opinion, is you're getting variation. You're getting natural variation, right? So you're not eating the same foods all year round, which we have the luxury of today. And 60 years ago in Costa Rica, they didn't have that luxury. So so you're getting the natural variation. But the reason I think that we benefit from those seasonal eating is because before refrigeration, before electricity, that's how we would have eaten. There would only be certain times where you'd eat potatoes because they only grow in certain seasons. And so you're naturally eating certain foods at certain times and naturally eating other foods at other times. So you're the human genome, so to speak, the mitochondrial genome, the microbiome, they're all starting to adapt to the same patterns, right? So this is why we started to benefit from that. It's because we kept doing it for hundreds and thousands of years. We did the same thing. And so our bodies become attuned to these cycles. And so, um, so it's just really important to recognize why seasonal eating is important. You know, and, and when we were in Okinawa, um, we went to a little school. And this is like um, two, three, four, and five-year-olds. And at three years old, they had this chart. I remember looking at this chart, and they showed what foods grew in each season. And I thought, oh, my God, they're teaching this to three-year-olds, you know, to four like, I've never learned that. You know, even today, I don't know that I've ever truly looked up, okay, based on where I'm at, what are all the foods? Now, I garden, and so that kind of guided me in, in a lot of ways, which is a great way to get into this. It's like, okay, start to realize where I'm at and, and what region, what temperate and how, how sunny and how wet, what can grow and when it grows and how it grows. And to teach kids as well, um, because obviously that's not happening everywhere. Um, mm. You know, there's been some really good initiatives we've seen in schools where they have started gardens and stuff, and that's really great. Mm. But I guess it comes down to responsibility again. And, you know, as parents, I think that's definitely... Um, what we yeah like to do with kids and just to expose them to that as early on as possible. Absolutely. And, and the other thing I'll mention here too, uh, before we sort of transition is that there's a seasonality to life. So, and, and when we're speaking with these elders in these various regions, they would tell us that younger kids would eat lots of fruits and very easily digestive carbs and, and these type of things. And so would the older people because they have more delicate uh, digestive systems, right? So the older people that were really in tune, they would actually tend to stop eating meat. And and now from a nutrition standpoint, we could say, okay, well, we need meat because we need all these things and blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, is that we start eating these big, heavy proteins that are hard to digest and you don't have the digestive capacity at 94, well, you're going to naturally feel like crap because you're, you're not 
you're going to be producing more immune reactions to undigested proteins that end up getting into the system. So easy things like fruits and rice and uh, squash and what have you, um, much easier than things like, you know, salad, like cold salad or, or heavy meats, you know. So um, respecting the seasonality of our life and when we're in our 20s and 30s, our digestive systems like top notch, you know, comparatively, not not for everybody these days, but but that's the season of our life where we're we're rocking and rolling, and we can really eat a lot of things. Eighteen, I mean, we're just primed to eat anything and everything, right? And then start to decline, right? So, uh, so it's respecting the seasonal aspects of our life as well. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think we sort of covered. Uh, your philosophy on nutrition mm. and eating through all of that. So yeah. I don't think you probably need to go into that any further. You share that same belief um, for sure. But yeah, what other sort of practices that either you or you saw these um, centenarians in the blue zones practice around food, um, what are really beneficial for longevity and health in general, do you think? Um, I think it changed Everybody had their own perspective, right? And this was the hard part is that it's not a universal thing. Um, but uh, a lot of them would drink uh, liqueurs or wines um, as a digestive aid, right? So they, they often did that. Um, um, but I tell you, it's, there's, they, they ate what they ate because it grew <laughs> around them because that's what they had. Right. So in, in a lot of ways, they didn't have to make difficult choices. And in so many ways, we're in a more difficult position because because when I'm at the gas station, I could grab a Snickers bar or some organic almonds or whatever it is and eat 40 almonds in one sitting. Right. So we have all these choices that we have to make and it makes it so much more challenging. And of course, we've got the, the food manufacturers that are creating products designed to draw us in, designed to uh, be addictive, to design to have the right amount of crunch to turn on certain signals in the brain that make us want more. So we're, we're up against a lot of these challenges and our palates have been um, distorted and influenced from the time, actually when we're in our womb, in our mother's womb. So we're up against a lot, right? I, I say that because um, to cut people a little bit of slack, um, it's hard to do this, you know, and I, I did a lot of travel in Europe for, for fun. And, and what I, what I noticed in, in Europe and other parts of the world too, but I, I use Europe as an example because it's a modern metropolis in a lot of these big cities like Rome and various Bulgaria and Czech Republic. When you're going, walking through Prague and you stop at this little quarter convenience store, they actually have like real fruits that you can get like blueberries and strawberries inside where, where for us, you know, you see Coca-Cola and Snickers and cats and all this other crap donuts and you know hot case food and all this crap they had real food and so i thought wow i mean that's a huge huge difference right and and for people that might be living in some of these cities they're like yeah this is, just, this is the reality so there's a lot that we're up against when it comes to food and so we just have to make a lot a lot more difficult choices um and i guess fortunately we also have the luxury of getting food cheaply and that's a challenge and a blessing which is to say that um we can get a lot of great healthy food at very little cost um and so uh we can we can we can use sort of food as medicine and, and make amazing choices and make amazing meals and have the luxury of experience experiencing uh, japanese cuisine and italian cuisine and you know, russian cuisine i mean we get we get it all so it's it's a it's really a pleasure to eat in our modern world uh, and so, again, while your your podcast in this sort of season is focused on nutrition, I, I think it's important to not lose sight of the fact that we can sort of make mistakes. We don't have to be perfect in this world. Um, and so we can have some fun. We can play. We can have pizza. When I'm in Italy, um, it's like there's nothing better than getting real Italian pizza. And so we did that a lot, you know. And, of course, they ate that a lot there too. So, um you know, it's important to have fun. It's important to, to, when you eat a McDonald's hamburger, if that's your thing, enjoy it. I wouldn't recommend doing it often. When you do it, enjoy it. Don't beat yourself up. Don't, don't cause added stress um, by these things. So, so there's a balance to be had, I think, in a modern world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just to know as well, it takes time to sort of wean off these things because of how they've been manufactured to be so, the flavor combinations, as you said, and so are stimulating to our taste buds. It's just like they've made this food to be really addictive and it is really hard to stop if that's what you've been having for so long. Um, 
so yeah being kind to yourself that it's it's not probably going to be cold turkey and mm. you know an instant like transition and fix like that and, and that's okay where your values align as well like mm. if you wanted to support local farmers that's a, a strong value it does for you, make it easier in that sense a lot easier to transition across so yeah. and even again just touching on the base of like the seasonal thing too i was just thinking you know, like if you were like the availability we have and the disconnect we have from our food system so much as a we have you can quite easily get a mango when it's the middle of winter here when it, in the southern hemisphere in winter in the mountains here it's quite cold and so it's not ideal to be eating tropical fruits that is closer to the equator being shipped down here and eaten so that's again ethical reasons for um, um, food mileage in terms of like eating locally is just, and you, as you said simplifying things yeah take responsibility for your health whatever that looks like for you individually and just that it's eating locally because that whatever mm. part of the world you're in if you're closer to the equator you're a completely different diet to down here in australia in the mountains when it's cold in winter and get some snow sometimes it's, it's like that's a very different diet and so we can't say this is a certain way of eating because that's very unique to our geographical location mm. and our age and my genetics being partially italian as well there's so many just factors involved it's incredible so mm. you touch base on all that which you're really grateful for for sharing only, that. i guess to simplify the whole i guess not making it so hard for yourself with the overwhelming amount of choices and especially you know food that's packaged to be marketed to you um obviously not available to everyone but going to those smaller stores that are mostly healthier food or mostly fresh seasonal food um like farmers markets and some health food stores and yeah co-ops and things and 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 that's what i would recommend for most people you know if if have let somebody else do the work for you and and all you've got to do is vet that source and making sure that they're doing as good a job as they can do and again you know the, the challenge today is that even if you get organic food even organic local food it still can come loaded with various pesticides and chemicals and you know things are sprayed in the in the sky and, and so look like again you do the best you can you know and, and, and a lot of people can't afford this stuff you know they can't afford um these uh, local organic foods because the organic farmers oftentimes may need to charge a little bit more um and this is just because of economies of scale and various things like that so so it depends on where your value systems are can you afford it where can you you know make better decisions, you know, for overall, for people in the modern world, I would say, get your meat um, and your eggs and your dairies and your animal products, make sure that those are organic and as, as pasture raised and, and humanely raised as you can, because the farther you go up the food chain, the more sort of concentrated these toxins get, right? So this is why you see in tuna and shark and, and things that, it, right, yeah, they start to they start to accumulate there. So, um, so the bigger the for food, the, the higher up on the food chain, make sure you're, you're getting organic and, and the best you can there. And some of the fruits and vegetables, if you can't afford all organic all the time, you know, go to environmental working group and check out their dirty dozen, their clean 15 and, and start there, you know, and, and play and, and make decisions the best you can. Um, uh, it's it's not it's not easy honestly I, I think people some people think they're doing better than they actually are they're like oh i'm eating all these things and i'm like yeah but uh they're still problematic you know there's organic oats uh, for a long time and, and from a few manufacturers that were just loaded with glyphosate because because oats are one of those things that they spray glyphosate on um to as a desiccant in order to make the, the plant i remember um, sprout. the big one the, was the, the bob which a lot of people considered one of the best qualities yeah. for so long exactly so yeah. so this is the, this is the challenge and i say this to give people a little bit of grace give yourself some grace that sometimes you think you're doing amazing things and you're making uh, uh, an ignorant wrong choice and and it's unknowing because it's a very challenging world to to navigate and so uh, but the but the closer you can bring it to home, the closer you can bring it to to your own garden, um, the better off you're going to be. And 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 again, that's not without challenges itself. You know, putting up a garden, I, I established my garden, and that's expensive. I had to get all the good soils, and I had to get you know earthworm casings. I had to get uh, all these different things, uh, peat moss, and 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 I had to treat the soil. And and I'm going, of course, all, all organic, and I had to make my own compost tea and compost, and I gathered rainwater. I mean, I did all the things expensive to get going once i had that going it was freaking awesome i had blueberries peaches and pears and cherries and all kinds of vegetables and you know so it's fun it's challenging i screwed a lot of things up um but it just depends on where you're at what you can get away with and, and so you, you you do what you can from where you're at yeah um, yeah and that might not necessarily be putting a whole garden together you know like there's a lot of little 
good you know even balcony things you can try and experiment with yeah, like i grew a couple of cucumbers one year just on my balcony um back when we lived in an apartment and you know if you're still putting some good like you know i don't know some sort of seaweed or composting mix on it you know mm. some extra nutrients into the soil yeah. like, do what you can yeah. yeah, that's actually one of the best foods I think that people can learn to garden from because it's so easy and they can climb a trellis. You can use a mound and there's all kinds of ways. And and, and all of a sudden it's just boom. You get all and these lettuce. Cucumbers. Lettuce is another yeah. good one. Yeah. Pretty yep. much. And you can pickle can... cucumbers. You can you know. So there's that's a great one to to do. Um, but yeah, and, and again, some people have no desire to start a garden. Some people no desire to start anything. And in that case, what can you do and and where can you make your impact? Um, but um, but the, the the reality is is that. I don't want to say we have to make sacrifices, but we're going to have to make some tough decisions um, a lot of times because the, of the way things have been set up in our society. That's just that's just where we're at, and 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 I don't. It's probably not worth saying to to your educated audience, but these new products like meatless <laughs> meats, yeah, are absolutely horrendous. <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah. This is the one thing where technology will never improve. Technology will never improve food. It can't. So we have to trust. Uh, biology. We have to trust uh, uh, the organic process of life itself. And we cannot manufacture that. We cannot replicate that. We cannot duplicate. I don't care how advanced our tech gets. There's nothing more advanced than nature. It is the ultimate uh, intelligence. Yeah. So well said. And I think this is Mm. the perfect place to use your discernment as well in what the narrative is behind that being pushed as well. Um, well, Bill Gates now is the biggest farmland owner in the US, so and he's one of the big guys behind Beyond Burger. So that's monocropping, which we all know is terrible for the planet. It's terrible for everything involved. You're right, and and one of the themes that we're seeing right now um, unfold is the decentralization of all systems. We're, as as a hum, as a human collective, we are moving away from centralized power, from centralized. Uh, resource. We are moving into the decentralization. You're seeing it with cryptocurrencies. You're seeing it with, with governments. Um, you're seeing it with, uh, uh, there's a, as of this recording, there's a big stock blow up uh, with uh, GameStop and, and things. And you had these little little traders, day traders, who were just regular people that, that were dismantling hedge funds because they all collectively got their efforts together. So, so you're seeing this on, on a multitude of scales. And of course, you're seeing the opposite. You're seeing these, these tech giants and these corporations are trying to, to gather these resources and, and, and hoard. But the reality is that that's, that's a losing battle. So we are going to continue to see decentralization. And that's how we win. We actually take the back the power in our, in, in, into the individual Working as a collective, right? So, so there's two components. It's the individual, which is very, very important, and it's the collective. So uh, instead of giving over our, our power to our food lords, we're taking it back. How can we grow it ourselves, grow it locally, et cetera? So we're going to continue to see this. It's going to be a, a thing, and and um, it may not be without uh, some back and forth, but it's going to be a losing proposition, this this idea of creating foods, manufacturing foods. I mean, they're talking about 3D printing foods and all kinds of stuff, growing things in labs. It's, it's a losing proposition. Um, there's some people that are going to gravitate towards it. They're going to try to push it because it, it's a moneymaker. At the end of the day, it's going to fail. Yeah. And when you look at how many billion, you know, they're investing in it as well, mm. you have to question, could that money be used to solve some of the problems, <laughs> yeah. you know, a little bit Most definitely, directed. Yeah. And to that point, and we're getting a little off topic here, but, it, but it's still relevant to the food conversation, which is that we need, well, we don't need to do anything, but we have an opportunity to stop giving our power to the, the overlords and expecting them to solve our problems. The problems that you face in your life and that I face in my life are my deal, right? They're my deal. I, I, again, responsibility and acceptance. Um, It it is my responsibility to fix whatever it is I think needs to be fixed or adjust whatever I think needs to be adjusted in my own life. And so it's going to be different for everybody. And and the more that we can um, take responsibility for that and stop looking to others to solve our food problems and and health problems and everything else, um, the better off we're going to be. It's a, it, it can be a challenging road. It can be tough to accept that. It can be maybe tough to get going or even know how to start. But but that is the real solution. Um, and and so again, I, I think it, it is very relevant with a food topic that um, you can make positive changes, and, and it's just a matter of you taking that power into your own hands. Mm. 
And you can see smaller um, groups, individuals and community-driven things, initiatives have changed way more than I can say that um, politics and government incentives. Even these podcasts, right? Like these podcasts, right? The podcasts you're doing are going to reach thousands and thousands of people and have an influence. And and it doesn't take a revolutionary thing. For most people, it's this little bit of an insight that changes the way that they perceive their reality. And that's really all it takes. And that perceived insight then sets them on a new trajectory. And over time, lands them in a completely different destination. So so it's really important, A, what you guys are doing, and, and B, it's, again, the democratization of this information. You're now, people are now learning from you guys and your guests as opposed to, you know, whatever government media-driven program that's in a magazine or online or or on tv right which is so outdated and people are done looking at that there's older generations are still kind of uh, tend to look there but but all the younger generations are off like it's done so again this is the 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 decentralization the democratization of of this information Mm. uh, media and everything yeah Yeah, you're right and it's sort of interesting how it came full circle because i think now remembering back from the longevity project i probably a big part of me the i sparking the idea of me joining the community garden back um when i lived in a city mm. was i guess some of the information interviews and stuff that were shared so community and growing your own food like planted the seed and inspired yeah. you and, and shifted it sort of a direction and a, a positive sort exactly. of movement and that has way bigger impact mm. than you know what anyone told me on tv mm. or you know exactly. any sort of what you can read or, or yeah, what have you exactly and and it's generally that that thing that little bit of inspiration mm. that little motivation mm. and and but but also the action that you took right yeah. and that's really really important because yeah. a lot of people mm-hmm. today are looking at, at a lot of these information sources and they're digesting it almost as if it was you know uh, basically edu- education content or education um, entertainment and and it's like it is entertaining hopefully but but really it's it's what are you going to do with this information how, how is this going to change your life and it's going to take some kind of action or potentially even non-action right stop doing something you're doing and, and so uh, it, it's really because otherwise it's not worth anything exactly yeah mm. yeah, yeah. Jason, there's so much that <laughs> it's been such an incredible conversation. I know that community would definitely learn so much from this and the, the seeds planted mm. there and this is the insight and clarity. Yeah, I love the way this went. Behind <laughs> simplicity, take responsibility, acceptance. So I'm really grateful for your time. For people, I guess, what are you, to share with people, what are you up to now? And what, what are you, so any, any projects in the works? And yeah. Yeah, I've got a couple things. Um, uh, one's been put on pause because of all the COVID restriction that uh, the world seems to be in right now. And um, we were uh, filming our next um, film series, which is uh, uh, going around the world, um, looking at ancient and indigenous ways of healing mind, body, soul. So uh, we were in the Himalayas working with some Buddhist and Bon healers up up at the top of the Himalayas. We went to India to work with Ayurvedic masters there, went to Peru to work with some shamans. Um, uh, we were scheduled to go to New Zealand to work with the Maori. Um, so so we wanted to go to all these ancient indigenous cultures and learn from them what is their perspective on healing? What is their perspective on health and disease and sickness? What is it? Because I think in the West, we have a really, really distorted perception of what disease is, of what sickness and illness is. Um, and so so we explored that, those concepts and then also how they go about um, sort of healing, so to speak, or, or bringing back into balance, into alignment. Um, and there's a variety of, of things that they do. And, and a lot of them um, may seem pretty strange to us in the West, um, but they've been doing them for uh, longer than this has been a, a recognized country, right? So they've been doing them for thousands and thousands of years. And a lot of the wisdom is stuck, right? In, in terms of like Ayurveda and, and shamanism. And um, you see some amazing things, like you, you see miracles performed um, uh, from what we from our perspective and so um so yeah we were in the midst of that and then then the whole world got shut down so um our travels got a little bit limited but but we're picking that up as soon as we can start jet setting around the globe freely um and then uh and another thing i'm working on is a book so i'm I'm, um the the longevity equation is the name of the book and it it covers a lot of these these topics and of course much more um when it comes to health and and disease and and thinking about longevity you know it's it's one of the things i love to talk about is is it important to live a long life you know is it important to to be 150 years old if i hate my life and i'm i'm 
disruption to all around me and I'm poisoning the planet? Like, is that a good thing? Or is it better to live 23 years where I'm present um, so often and I love my life and I'm contributing, bringing uh, my essence into the world, right? So there's there's very interesting philosophical debates and big picture ideas uh, that uh, I think are really, really important when it comes to health. Um, how do I approach disease from a mental and emotional perspective? Um, there's a lot of that. And so, so the, the book is really... Um, exploring a lot of those concepts and of course gives people an idea of what they can do so how do you approach your health and, and as a practitioner working with people that have cancer and autoimmune conditions and you know you name it um uh, it really comes from my experience in that world uh, and and how to move forward um no matter what condition that you're you're dealing with because i think there's a there's a fundamental approach that people can take even though the steps might be different um there's a way to get about it and and a lot of the times it does in, incorporate um getting help from others. I mean, uh, basically, right? And so how do you navigate that? How do you figure out how to do that? And that's, it's not an easy thing in, in this Western world that we live in. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> it's um, the best place to send people to either find yourself or your work. Where would you like Stay to updated. direct people? Yeah, yeah, they can go to um, humanlongevityfilm.com. And uh, if you haven't seen the film series, it's a nine-part series, you can uh, put your email address in there and, and you can watch episode one for free. I um, highly recommend which, that. Which is a good one. Like the yeah. episode one's fun to watch. It's kind of the it kicks off the whole thing, and it, mm-hmm. it, it could stand alone on its own. Um, explores a lot of these topics of aging and, and longevity and what's wrong, and and um, some of the philosophical stuff. So they can go there, and uh, that's really the best place to check out our work. Um, they can find us on on Facebook as well. But um, I, I I'd say go watch the for episode one of the series. They can also find the, our YouTube channel. We have, we've actually. Um, just recently started cutting a lot of the clips from from the series. A lot of little wisdom nuggets from people like Paul Check and Ben Greenfield and Bob Wolf and uh, Preston Smiles, JP Sears. Like we have a, a, a wide breadth of experts that that talk about trauma and nutrition and toxins and uh, functional medicine. I mean, you name it, um, all over the place. So you can go to our YouTube channel, Human Longevity Project, on YouTube and, and check out those clips. They're very quick, you know, two minute segments with with a lot of wisdom there. Yeah, perfect. For those with a lesser attention span, it's a perfect place to start <laughs> as well. So this day and age, so, yeah. yeah. Really, again, we really, really appreciate your time, Jason. It's been an incredible conversation, and uh, yeah, again, mm-hmm. thank you so grateful for that. Uh, yeah, it's my pleasure. So good to talk really appreciate to you. it. Thanks for joining us. If you're enjoying our show so far, make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And it means a lot to us if you leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as well as share this with friends and family, which will help us get this crucial knowledge out there. If you'd like to connect with us, head on over to Instagram at liveholisticallyau, where you can learn more and ask us anything. See See you you next time. time.